This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Path, the coach-guided membership designed to help you make alcohol small and relevant in your life by removing your true desire to grab that next drink. Our science-based, compassion-led program allows you not only to shift your behavior and your relationship around alcohol, but more importantly, uncover and reprogram your subconscious conditioning and neural connections that have been keeping you stuck for years. With daily live breakthrough coaching, an intimate and supportive community, regular peer-to-peer connection calls, and a complete vault of resources, this is where your path to total freedom and effortless enjoyment of your new way of life begins. Join us at NakedMindPath.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Natalie. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. I'm really good. Thanks. Oh, so, so happy to have you. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your journey? Where, where did your um, journey with alcohol start? Sure. Well, my journey, I suppose my relationship with alcohol started innocently enough. Um, essentially, I was a child of the 80s, which meant that, you know, we grew up around alcohol a lot. So, you know, there was always alcohol present in my house. My mum and dad drank quite a bit. So, you know, most days. Um, but, you know, having said that, mum and dad and I, we've had a lot of conversations about that and I guess the environment in which um, I was raised. And the environment really was a happy, safe loving household where alcohol flowed freely so whether we were celebrating or commiserating you know there was just always seemed to be an excuse I suppose to to pop the bottle Uh, and then you know fast forward when I grew up I met somebody I uh, moved out of home Um, I essentially kept up that same drinking pace, I suppose, when I moved out with my first boyfriend. Um, And he loved wine too. So, you know, we would drink most nights. Um, We, you know, we'd usually have either a bottle or two between us. We would have, you know, we would go out on the weekends. We would have lots of big nights. And, you know, it doesn't sound great, I know, but it was really all quite innocent. It was what everybody did. I also worked for a company. I had quite um, a good job at the time. Worked for a company where alcohol was always present at conferences and meetings and things like that. And I just never questioned it. I never really questioned my relationship with alcohol back then. Um, When, and then, you know, fast forward, I'm, separated from that relationship and I met somebody else and it was interesting because he didn't really drink at all and it wasn't that he uh, didn't you know didn't agree with alcohol or anything like that but really he just had never been raised in a home where alcohol was so you know that flowed so freely like you know where drinking almost daily was a thing so there was this contrast between you know him thinking that I was the strange one and me thinking that he was the strange one. Um, And, but still it never really caused that many issues, you know, so we would go out, uh, he was always the driver, I was always the drinker and that was just how our relationship worked. So back then when I look at it, 
it really wasn't an issue then my drinking it was they to be really honest they were some of the best times of my life um sometimes you know we would go out Thursday night Friday night Saturday night and it just wasn't a problem we were able to have the drink have the hangover recover from the hangover and I never saw it as an issue looking back now I see it as an issue but you know hindsight is a wonderful thing um and then I guess when everything changed for me is when I had kids. So the person I was talking about, um, you know, who doesn't really drink, he became my husband. And fast forward a few years, we had two little boys within two years of each other. And I did, I just really did not handle that transition into motherhood very well. I did the best I could. But, you know, at the end of the day, I felt uh, quite resentful, um, you know, about the life I'd left behind. And there was a lot of guilt wrapped up in that too, because we tried to conceive for many years for such a long time. So there were lots of thoughts around, this is what you wanted, Nat, you know, this is what you, you know, wished for, for all of those years. Um, why aren't you happy? You know, you should be happier, you know, and having these perpetual thoughts then made me feel even worse you know so I would drink more and I just remember over that course of sort of two or three years um you know I because I was so sort of sad about the life that I'd left behind I kept up that same drinking pace but I was doing it at home instead of out in social situations yeah. and I remember just one day thinking you know, I've gone from going out with friends, having a nice dinner, going out for a dance, maybe having a bottle of wine or two, to standing at the kitchen bench, folding the washing, you know, with my toddlers around my feet, downing a bottle of red while I'm folding the washing at the kitchen bench. And, you know, then other things started to change. So I would start taking the recycling bin out. It sounds really silly now, but I didn't want my husband to feel the weight of the recycling bin. So I would take the recycling bin out. I had this drinking cupboard that I assigned myself in the house. So instead of me bringing the wine out onto the bench, you know, and pouring it out on the bench and drinking it out on the bench, I started hiding it in this cupboard and I would pour the wine in there and I would drink the wine in, standing in the cupboard. And the funny thing is, you know, my husband, he's such an easygoing guy. Um, I wasn't what you would call sort of like a messy drunk. So I didn't pick fights. You know, we didn't fight about my drinking. We didn't fight about, um, you know, we didn't get into, you know, silly arguments or anything like that. Really the worst thing about my drinking was how I felt the next day and the anxiety that came along with that. But, you know, when I think about drinking in the cupboard, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have really said anything, I don't think, if he, he'd noticed how much I was drinking. So really the person I was hiding my drinking from was myself. I knew that I was doing the wrong thing. I knew that I was drinking way too much. Um, so, you know, it was like keeping it out of view from everybody else and from out of view from the kids. It sort of made me feel better about it. And then one day it all came to a head when it was a Saturday afternoon and my grandma had passed away. 
and I had been put in charge of putting together her slideshow for the funeral. So, you know, the, you know, the pictures and the videos and everything. So I had all of these, you know, old photos that I had to scan and put together into this slideshow to play the funeral. And I said to my husband, right, I'm going to need a good couple of hours to do this. I need to get it to, you know, the funeral directors on Monday. So I'm going to go up into the study. Can you just look after the kids? I need to get this done. And I took a bottle of champagne with me up into the study because I was sort of incapable at that stage of doing anything without you know, doing anything emotional without having a drink to sort of numb those emotions down. And after I'd been up there, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes, I'd had a, about three glasses of champagne. So I was just starting to feel, you know, pretty happy, pretty tipsy. I heard my husband call me down from the kitchen and he had this really strange tone in his voice. Um, he says, you know, Nat, can you come here for a second? And he was doing his meal prepping for the week. So he had all these nuts out on the bench and he was like, you know, dividing them into containers for the week. And I go down into the kitchen and I see all these nuts on the bench and my four-year-old, my oldest, is sitting on the bench and he's having an anaphylactic reaction to the nuts. Oh, wow. I, um, we didn't know that he was allergic to nuts. So this had come as a huge shock to both of us that he's, you know, his lips were swelling and his tongue was starting to swell. His neck was going red and it was escalating like quite quickly. And I said, you know, I look back at that time and there's just still so much guilt surrounding that, but I just remember my first thought when I saw him having this reaction on the bench was, does this mean I'm going to have to stop drinking now? Like I was, I was pissed off. Yeah. I was annoyed. I was annoyed that my drinking was being interrupted. And the thought was only fleeting. It was a split second before we sprang into action. We called the ambulance and he's fine. He was fine. We, you know, now manage the nut allergy, but in the day that followed and the weeks that followed, that was when I knew that something really had to change. Drinking was coming becoming far too important in my life. And I, it, yeah, I just had so much guilt around that first thought, you know, when I'd seen him on that kitchen bench. And that was when I started Googling, am I an alcoholic? I'd done that previously, mind you, over the years, but I really wanted to get some more information. And I stumbled across the live alcohol experiment online. And that was in December 2019. And I did the 30-day alcohol experiment in January 2020, and it changed everything for me. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So when I, I remember, um, you know, starting the alcohol experiment and I got um, two weeks in and to be honest, by day 15, I had pretty much heard enough. <laughs> I just thought, you know what, I'm, I'm so done here. I just, I remember for me, it was the part when I was talking about, when you were talking about um, sleep, 
which was a huge thing, you know, because I had two kids who didn't sleep very well. And when I think back, you know, and I would drink almost every night. And when I think back to all of those nights or hours of sleep, I robbed myself of, you know, I was already being robbed of sleep by these two little munchkins. And then I was drinking so much on top of that, that I was, you know, robbing myself of even more sleep. So it was the sleep and the anxiety side of things. Um, and yeah, I would wake up, you know, your story just resonated, you know, the 3am wake ups, the I'd wake up with the sweats, I was sort of having, you know, panic attacks on and off. Um, and it was just, oh, gosh, I just look back at that time, and I cringe, and I'm just so grateful that I found you when I did. No, I love that. So, so what happened next? So then um, I, 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 you know, we're all creatures of habit and I was coming into, we were coming into the pandemic. So January 2020 was when, um, you know, we first started to hear about COVID over in China. And I, it's funny, I think that was one of the drivers really that, um, that forced me to, you know, to, to really get control of what was happening with me because the drinking that I was doing socially never really bothered me, to be honest. So, you know, going out with friends and having a few wines, that didn't bother me. What did bother me was all the drinking I was doing at home alone and, you know, the boys, my kids watching me drink at home alone. Um, so, when I saw what was going on with COVID over the other side of the world and that these people were going into lockdown, like, oh my gosh, they can't, they're not working. There's no school, like what's happening. And I could see the writing on the wall. I just knew that, you know, it wasn't long really before the rest of the world had the same sort of outcome. Uh, and that was, and I just thought, gosh, like if the drinking that I'm doing at home alone is worried, you know, with the boys is worrying me the most and we're about to endure God knows how long, you know, how many months, years it might be of being in lockdown. I really need to get a handle on this now. So after I did the alcohol experiment, I, I thought, you know, at the end of January, I've totally got this. Yep. Totally got all of this under control. No problem at all. And I actually tried to moderate <laughs> for two months. So I had eight weeks of trying my best to moderate and I made all the rules that we all do, you know, only drinking on Friday and Saturday, only having half a bottle of wine at a time, um, you know, never drinking alone, only drinking with other people. You know, I made all of these rules and then I spent two months breaking all of the rules. And by the time it got to the end of March, I just thought, you know what, this, this is it. I need to take... Um, take a proper break. I had no idea how long this break was going to be, but I knew that in order to reassess my relationship, I had to step right away from it in order to, um, you know, to, to, I guess, properly assess what I wanted to do moving forward. And then we went into lockdown, of course, um, and life changed for everyone again. Um, and I found that transition, um, transition really difficult. And I thought, you know, I need something to sort of take the place of that afternoon drink. And I started making alcohol-free cocktails and that's where the mindful mocktail comes in. So I started making these alcohol-free cocktails from home 
And I started sending the recipes to my other friends who were in lockdown and family members who were in lockdown saying, you know, try this, tell me what you think. And I got such great feedback. They were just like, this, well, this is amazing. And so I started an Instagram account initially sharing the recipes and I shared it sort of intertwined with a, a little bit of my story and my background and, you know, everything else. And I was just amazed at what happened. So it's funny, like the recipes, they, you know, they were getting a great, great amount of feedback, but the, like my story is what really resonated with people. And it just made me feel so much better to know there were so many people all over the world who, um, who were in the same boat. And the sober community online is, you know, truly an amazing place to be. There's just so many of us. Um, and yeah, so I started the Mindful Mocktail and then all of a sudden, you know, it just exploded. And, you know, it's so funny because I remember listening to one of your um one of your talks, it's a YouTube video, and you talk about um creativity is what happens on the other side of boredom and when I stopped drinking I it's not that I was bored I mean I was home with the kids you know full-time homeschooling you know you don't really have a whole lot of time to be bored but it's like the mental space that the drinking was taking up beforehand you know how many drinks and what would I have and then the next day thinking um you know, how could you do that? Why did you do that again? Everything else. It was like I needed to sort of channel that energy into something else. And before I started the Mindful Mocktail, I'd never even picked up a camera. I was convinced I didn't have an artistic bone in my body. And I really do think that, you know, alcohol was just suppressing it for all of those years. I just, I think that creativeness was always there, but it was just being hugely suppressed the alcohol oh yeah that's so interesting I I it it's so true for me too like I always imagined that I was more creative with the drink but ultimately found myself to be much better thinker and more creative without alcohol altogether yeah it's so true and same you know I hear a lot of people say um I'm more creative when I drink and I just think have you given yourself a chance with yeah that? Have you given it a good crack <laughs> without drinking and seeing what you can come up with? Yeah, that's so true. Like, have you, have you tried? Cause I think we do make so many assumptions without necessarily experimenting or trying or, or seeing what really might be the case. Right. So true. And even things like, you know, I recently had my first alcohol free wedding. Now I've never given myself a chance to go to a wedding without drinking ever. So how would I know? How would I know how much fun I could have? How would I know how much fun I can be? And I had a great night, woke up the next morning, took the kids to the beach. You know, it's just, whereas once upon a time, I would have just written off the whole next day because I knew I would have just written myself off and, you know, been in bed the whole day or at least bare minimum sitting on the couch with the kids watching kids' movies all day. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I, I did... Uh, I remember my first alcohol-free wedding. It was a while ago now, but it was it was a first. And I think all firsts can create a lot of sort of anxiety and what how's it going to be, what it's going to be like. But on the other side of it, you're just so dang proud of yourself, which is just awesome. And, you know, every function, every party, every birthday, every wedding, it's like you sort of chip closer, like you're chipping away at 
these preconceived ideas mm-hmm. of what a wedding should look like. You know, you, you tick a wedding off the list and it's like chip, 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 you know, like you're tapping away at those neural pathways or something, you know, like you're rebuilding. Yes, you can have a wedding, you know, without alcohol and you can have a 40th without alcohol or a kid's birthday. You know, we used to have kids' birthdays, you know, where alcohol flowed freely. And I do look back at some of those times and think, gosh. Yeah. But, it, you know, another thing that, you know, you've taught me is I, there's this really good quote, and I can't remember if it came from you, but so many of your podcasts and, you know, with you and Scott that I listen to, it just reminds me of it. And it's, um, oh, now, how exactly does it go? Um, oh, you, it's like you can't force someone to make a change that they're not ready to make, but never underestimate the power of planting a seed. And I've just noticed with people all around me, you know, that seed by watching me do what I have done, you know, obviously I've surrounded myself with lots of heavy drinkers over the years because that's what I was. But you can see the people around me thinking, well, hang on a minute you know, what, what's that all about? You know, she seems really happy. She's not drinking as much. And my mum is a great example. So my mum, she is 68 and we worked out, um, it would have been about 18 months ago now that in like the 50 years preceding, she had not had more than a two week break from alcohol in that entire 50 years. And even when she was pregnant with us, her obstetrician actually said to her, um, he said to her, anxiety is worse for the babies, because I'm a twin. So anxiety is worse for the babies than what alcohol is. So if you're feeling, so if you're feeling anxious, just have a drink. You know, so of course. Wow. Yeah. So now we know that alcohol actually causes anxiety and you know this is going back almost 40 years now um so you know look she didn't drink a lot when she was pregnant with us but she did you know drink sort of on and off you know one sort of standard drink here and there um and since then like since sort of her watching what I've gone through and how much happier I am she called me just over a year ago and she said you know what Nat that's it. I'm not going to drink anymore. And so she stopped drinking, you know, at oh. 67 years of age, which is almost unheard of. I feel, well, it wouldn't be unheard of for you, but um, I think that, you know, to get to that age, it would be so easy to just say, oh, well, this is what I've always done. So, you know, this is what I'm going to, you know, do moving forward. But she, no, she just thought, you know what, my life is better without it. And she's just so much happier now. And I like to think that I've bought her a couple of extra years with the grandkids. <laughs> that is so cool. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really great. Um, I wanted to, to ask you with, you know, creating mocktail recipes and Instagram and everything, was a lot of it from what impact, if any, did like socializing have on this or what was, you know, your sort of thoughts around what was your own experience, I guess, that led you to think, oh, this is something that needs to exist. Yeah. And do you mean socializing online or more socializing in person? 
in person, but I'm super curious about online as well, but I, I did mean in person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really I found that, you know, and as I said, we were coming into COVID, so it was sort of a different scenario, but you know, when I decided to change my relationship with alcohol, I started to think about all of the social situations that I had been in, like in the previous, say, 12 months. And I started realising that not one of them really had any decent alcohol-free options. Like there was nothing to drink and I would do it. We would have functions here. We would have birthdays here. And really the non-alcoholic drinks were sort of an afterthought. So we would have, you know, sparkling water or some soft drink or some juice or whatever for the people who weren't drinking, but it was never anything special. You know, I just, I feel like drinking, you know, even when it's a non-alcoholic drink can be a real experience, you know, especially with me because I am so creative now with the colours and the garnishes and everything else, you know, sometimes we taste with our eyes first. And, yeah, so I thought, you know, in social situations, gosh, wouldn't it be good to be able to offer people really decent and delicious alcohol-free drinks, you know. So now when we have functions here or things here, there's, you know, I usually put a two or three alcohol-free drinks on the menu. I make sure there's, you know, there's so, I mean, the alcohol-free space has come ahead in leaps and bounds even in the last two years. So there's so many, if you're not a mocktail person, <laughs> there's so many um, amazing alcohol-free wines if you're into that um, or, you know, pre-bottled, you know, ready-to-drink alcohol-free alternatives. So now, you know, we sort of have half and half. We do still have alcohol for those that drink, but then we have um, lots of alcohol-free options too for those that choose not to. Yeah, that's so great. I mean, I, I totally agree with you about like all of that, especially the visual aspect that you were talking about earlier. It's it's so true. And um, yeah, I would for sure encourage people to follow you on Instagram at themindfulmocktail.com because you do such a great job with the visuals. Do you take those images yourself? Yes. Yeah, wow. I do. Yeah. So after, um, you know, after I started creating these recipes, I thought, gosh, you know, I just wanted to make it a really visually pleasing place to be. It's kind of like, I feel like it's um, the equal to sort of dopamine dressing, you know, you dress in color and it makes you feel happier. So many people say with the Mindful Mocktail, it's just a really like happy, it's a happy, bright place to be online. So I wanted to start, you know, photographing them to capture like their true, sounds a bit corny, but beauty. And um, yeah, I taught myself photography and then took a couple of um, courses in photography. And as I said, I just, I never would have done that if I hadn't found found you and done the alcohol experiment. I just, I never would have given myself the opportunity to be able to tap into that creative side. So I'm just, I feel so grateful about that. Oh, that's just awesome. I love that. And, and so well done. It's so beautiful. I really enjoy it. So that's just great. So Natalie, let me ask you sort of the question. Um, well, first of all, is there anything else you want to share before I ask you the question I always ask at the end? Do you mind, there is another personal story that I would like yes, to share. Yes, um, Because I think it's something really important. And I haven't, 
I haven't shared this with anyone before, but I just feel like it's something that needs to be said. So alcohol and pregnancy, and I know I'm taking things, we were sort of like up here talking about the mocktails and now I'm sort of going a little bit deeper, but I just feel like it's an important story. And when I was pregnant with my second, with um, my second boy, I mean, I got a lot of pressure sort of the first time I was pregnant with people saying one won't hurt, one won't hurt, you know, just have one. And I never really listened during my first pregnancy. It took me so long to conceive. I just thought there's no way I would jeopardise anything. And then with my second baby, we fell um, pregnant, you know, so, so quickly. And I suppose, you know, second pregnancy, you feel a little bit more relaxed. You think, you know, everything's going to be okay. And so on those couple of occasions where I was offered drinks, I took them. And there were two occasions I remember um, where I definitely had more than, you know, you just your one standard drink. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't downing bottles of vodka or anything like that. I'm talking, you know, two, two and a half sort of glasses of champagne, but certainly enough to start to feel the effects of the alcohol. Fast forward to when my baby was born, um, you know, after around nine months, we noticed that he had some really unusual mannerisms. So he was holding his arms up in the, the doctors called it the I win position, which I know no one can sort of see what I'm doing, but it's sort of, you know, holding your arms up as okay. if to say, hey, you know, you've won a race, woohoo, kind of thing. And, um, and we thought that was adorable before we realised that it was a problem. Um, so he was holding his arms up, he was scissoring his legs, um, you know, and his, just his, his uh, arms were quite sort of stiff. Anyway, I took him to a paediatrician and one of the first questions she asked me after, I, after he was assessed was, did you drink any alcohol during your pregnancy? And I was so put on the spot with the question. I said, no, I lied. And I said, no, I didn't. And she came back with a potential diagnosis. She said, look, we need to do further assessments, but I think that um, it's possible that he has cerebral palsy. And I was devastated. And I remember going home to my husband and telling him what she'd said. And I, I never told him that, he, that she asked me about the alcohol intake. And we decided to get a second opinion. So we found this really, you know, well-renowned um, specialist um, who's, you know, specialised in cerebral palsy. I take him along to that appointment and he assesses him and then he asks me sort of, no, it wasn't a huge amount of questions, so maybe sort of eight to ten questions. And one of the questions was, did you drink any alcohol when you were pregnant? Mm. And I lied again, like, I have shame about it until, to this day, but I didn't, I thought, you know what? Telling the truth isn't going to change anything now. Mm. You know, if I have done this, then I'm just going to have to, to deal with that. Anyway, we, um, I, I took him home. We found, I go into overdrive in a crisis so I found the best physios, the best, you know, specialists that we could possibly find. And we did physio with him every day for 12 months. And I still didn't tell anybody about these conversations that I'd had with the specialists about the alcohol. 
And we were one of the lucky ones because after that 12 months, I remember taking him back to, he came ahead in leaps and bounds. He started walking. You know, of course, I had all this guilt around, is he even going to be able to play with his little brother? Is he Mm. going to be able to walk? Is he going, you know, at nine months, there's only so much you can sort of tell from, you know, a baby about what they will and won't be able to do in the future. And for 12 months, every day I carried that. You know, I thought about it every single day and I wish I could say it made me drink more, uh, less, but it made me drink more um, because I was just trying to numb that and just push that away. But we were one of the lucky ones because after the 12 months I took him, I knew that he had come ahead. I knew that he had progressed and that things were looking good and he'd started to walk And I took him back to the original specialist for the 12-month checkup and he said, if you brought him to me now, I would send you away because there's nothing Mm. physio has worked. There's nothing. He's connected those little neural pathways that, you know, tells his arms to move from the eye wing position down. I mean, baby's brains are so pliable. We were just lucky. We were lucky, right? But when I think about, when I hear people say to pregnant women now, mm. one hurt, and there is more and more research now coming out that says one does hurt, one mm. can hurt, two can definitely hurt. Um, I just want to scream it from the rooftops that it is not worth it. The truth is we will never know, I will never know whether it was my drinking that caused those issues. There's just no way for us to know whether it was that or whether it was something else. But it is just not worth the the what-ifs and the guilt and everything else. Nine months is such a short time in the scheme of things. It is just not worth it. Wow, yeah. And it's it's like even alcohol has no safe amount now for adults. So you can only imagine what it, you know, has for infants and, and, and in utero and developing fetuses. And it's interesting too, because this whole idea of, so I had my first baby in 2008 and there was no, like, it was very, very, very rare that moms were being told, yeah, you can have a glass of wine while you're pregnant, you know, once a day or once a week or anything. But by the time my second baby came around, people were for sure like, no, it's okay. It's okay again. And part of my brain, even though I was still very much drinking at the time and very much looking for a reason to drink, um, part of my brain. And and I, I do think I had a glass of wine, like trying to like right before he was born, um, because of, of these new things, but part of my brain was thinking, well, how is it that it's changed like that? And there was all sorts of things that were changing like that. Like all of a sudden you could eat sushi and all of a sudden certain soft meats were okay or soft cheeses when they didn't used to be. And all of these things were changing. I was thinking, oh, and the thing, another thing that changed is I was on a anti-nausea medication because I had nausea for all nine months um, for all three of my pregnancies. And the first pregnancy, I took it every single day. The second one, they said, oh, I asked for it because it worked a little bit. And they said, oh, no, we don't prescribe that anymore. It's been linked to birth defects. And so, you know, all of this stuff for, 
I don't even think there was evidence about the wine thing. I think we had just not drank during pregnancy for almost long enough that people started thinking, oh, well, must not be a big deal. I think it, my own opinion, I, I really don't know, but I don't think doctors saw some sort of study because I cannot believe, especially with the studies coming out now about how no alcohol is good, that that would exist. But you are not the only, like so many people have, were told, no, it's okay. Like it's totally fine to have, you know, to drink moderately or on occasion when you're pregnant. And so I'm really grateful that he's okay. Me too. I just, I don't know where I'd be now, you know, if he wasn't okay. And I remember it wasn't until, you know, he, we sort of got the all clear from the doctor that I told my husband, you know, and I told my parents. And of course they say what everybody says, which is, oh, I'm sure it wasn't that. Mm. that. But I sort of thought, well, you don't know. Nobody knows. We'll never know. But yeah, certainly not worth it. It's nine months. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that story, Natalie. It's, it, I'm sure that's going to give, you know, people things to, to think about and all we can do to change this conversation is just keep sharing our stories. So I, I really think that's really beautiful of you to share that. So powerful. That's amazing. All right. Well, let me now ask you the question with even more context, but um, what would you, what would you go back and and say to yourself, especially maybe yourself who was drinking, you know, when she was pregnant or fearful of those sorts of things, or um, just feeling not completely in control uh, in her own life. Like, what would you say to her about what life is like now? Honestly, I would say really there's two things. So I would say just be kind to yourself. I would say alcohol is, you know, an addictive substance. And there is a beautiful life on the other side of this addictive substance. And I would say that, you know, education is going to be the key to get yourself out of this situation. You know, for me, I'm such a why person. I need the data. I want the proof. I, I need, you know, the stats and everything else. And I think that was where, you know, the alcohol experiment was so helpful to me because you were able to provide all of that data and all of that proof that this just isn't the way it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So educate yourself, be kind to yourself, know that it's not your fault and that you have 100% control of your future. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and, um, yeah, just being so open and vulnerable. It's really beautiful. Such a pleasure. Do you mind if I share my website? There's a oh, please do. Yes. <laughs> um, so my website is uh, mindfulmocktail.com and I share all my recipes there for free. And um, there's, you know, a little bit about my history and, you know, what I do and my history with alcohol. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm just the mindful mocktail and you'll find me there. So great. Well, thanks so much for that. Thanks for everything. And yeah, check it out for sure. Cause it is, yeah, you do such a great job with the recipes and the photography. It's, it's just awesome. Thanks, Annie. I so appreciate your time. 
Are you ready to make instant changes to your drinking? The answer is not in restriction or deprivation, and you don't need more self-control. I am here to tell you that you can break your patterns and habits and finally feel liberated from alcohol. You can return to a life where alcohol is small and irrelevant for you, a non-issue, take it or leave it. In fact, we have three secrets to control your drinking and we are going to teach them all live in a special three-day free virtual event from June 6 to 8. Learn the three secrets to control your drinking and make changes instantly live with us. Save your spot today at controlalcohollive.com. We can't wait to see you there. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.